At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 260th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. On today's podcast, we have someone who is working hard to help her community find access to healthy food. We're talking to Amanda Jordan-Starks about turning vacant land into urban gardens. Amanda is a third-generation Californian, how cool is that, raised in a small coastal town near the Oregon border. She went to the University of California, San Diego, to pursue a degree in international studies, political science, and obtained her master's degree in social justice. Amanda currently works with Urban Life Ministries and directs its youth outreach and community development activities. Her love for growing food and serving youth came together when she began directing the Urban Life Farms program, which uses vacant land to grow local healthy produce and provide job skill training to teenagers. Her favorite veggies are radishes and artichokes. Welcome to the show today, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. So as you mentioned, I was raised in California. Um, My father actually was a groundskeeper, and he often worked with pesticides. I have early Mm. memories of, yes, (laughs) I have early memories of him coming home from work. We would be excited to hug him. He would say, no, don't touch me. And he'd kick off his boots and get his clothes in the laundry and take a shower right away. Mm -hmm. And then we could, and then we could embrace him. So, yeah. And when, when I was younger, I, I knew that he was using some sort of chemical that, that was dangerous, but it wasn't until later while I was pursuing my master's degree that I started thinking more about pesticides and about organic farming and about agriculture in general. Mm -hmm. Your, your degree is in social justice, and so is there a connection between the pesticides your dad was using when you were a kid and you going into social justice? Well, um, when I was pursuing my degree, it was, it was pretty open what, uh-huh. I could, what I could write about. I had to do a capstone thesis mm-hmm. and an internship, and so I pursued an internship in Washington, D.C. with an organization called the Association of Farm Worker Opportunity Programs, mm. and I, I helped design um, pesticide and heat safety training for farm workers. 
like many people from the United States, even people from California, we're so disconnected from where our food comes from and all oh, yeah. the men and women who work really hard to, to, to raise our food and the whole just system. And so as I started doing research about pesticides, we even completed a report about the effects of pesticides on farm worker children mm -hmm. who were exposed secondhand to pesticides. I started thinking about my dad and, you know, thinking about the different health effects of pesticides and every, so many people in the working class who are exposed to these chemicals. And I started thinking about the, the larger picture of agriculture. And I ended up writing my capstone project on, um, how farm workers view their labor rights, especially with regards to pesticides. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. How did that inform your life moving forward? So from that, um, I remember talking with my grandmother who, when I told her that I was working with farm workers, she said, you know, what do you know about that? You've never picked a vegetable in your life. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> and so, um, when I was looking at the bigger picture of industrial agriculture in this country, mm -hmm. one of the solutions I saw, in addition to, to continue to be in solidarity with, with farm workers, was to focus on small-scale local organic farming. And I got an opportunity to help manage a farm in Washington State. Wow. And I was interning there, and then the, the manager left. And so um, my friend and I kind of took over him. And I, it was such a healing experience for me. I loved coming, working, planting things, growing things. And then I loved in particular the community that was built around um, our small farming operation. Mm -hmm. And so then later, a former mentor of mine asked that I would come down to San Diego and help and help with urban life. And so um, I thought about it for a while. And then I came down and I've been working here for a few years now. Wow. How cool is that? <laughs> you've had you've had an amazing life so far. Do you, do you feel that? Sometimes I feel very grateful uh -huh. for opportunities I've had. Um, I speak English and Spanish, and some of my most unforgettable conversations with farm workers or or, or different Spanish speakers have been in Spanish. And I think, wow, if I if I didn't try to learn this language mm. that my grandfather spoke, mm -hmm. then I would not have had those experiences. Yeah. And so I feel very grateful. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Mm -hmm. And I want you to think back to one of those conversations or one of those moments, one of those things that just moved you and share about that. I, I was talking to um, one of my mom's friends in, in Crescent City where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And she worked in the poinsettia and Easter lily fields there. Uh -huh, right. And she was telling me a story about how they had to put a certain powder pesticide on, on the on the flowers there and the winds came and it blew into her face and she she got really bad rashes on her face and um, had to had to stop working for a little while, mm. had to get medical care. Mm -hmm. And so I think about that a lot every time I see now around Easter and around Christmas, Easter lilies and poinsettias and, you know, just that I, I feel, I feel lucky that I got to have that conversation with her and yeah. just understand her struggle. And at the same right. time, I feel sad. She was also describing about how both of those flowers are forced to bloom at a time that's not natural for them mm -hmm. just to fit with our holidays. So, right. Right. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but just to be able to empathize with her and listen to her story yeah. and be able to, to share it. Um, I shared it as a part of my capstone thesis. So. Wow. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yeah. So Urban Life Farms, tell us about that. Urban Life it, urban life farms, our vision is to turn vacant lots of land into thriving urban gardens. And the idea came maybe around 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. um, in the neighborhoods where Urban Life works, City Heights and Southeast San Diego. They're not too far from downtown, but they're um, lower income areas of San Diego. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of vacant lots of land. It's not, they're not attractive places to come and start new businesses or put in new developments. And so my um, mentor was looking at how, you know, there's these two problems. There's these empty lots of land Mm -hmm. and they're eyesores, they're collecting garbage. And then there's also young people who are, you know, taking the bus a couple of hours to wealthy communities to work at McDonald's because there's just not good job opportunities here, or they're not prepared well for, for jobs right. um, as young people. In fact, in Southeast San Diego, where our second farm site is located, youth between the ages of about 16 to 25, there's like a 40, 40% unemployment rate. Wow. So the idea came that, why don't we try to tackle both of these problems, you know, from a community development perspective mm-hmm. and turn turn lands into urban gardens and then give give young people an opportunity to have a stipend as interns and then also get skills that could help them for future jobs. Wow. So these are somewhat paid positions for these young people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. How does that work? We Our model is based right now mostly on using CSA subscriptions, so community-supported agriculture subscriptions Mm -hmm. to usually in in more wealthy communities who where they're willing to pay a little bit more per week Mm -hmm. to support stipends for for the youth. So um, they'll get paid. um, We have three different crews that run during the year, and the students will get paid at the at the end of the season just a small a small stipend. But then it's an internship, and so we focus a lot on classroom time, they get nutrition skills, cooking skills, leadership development skills, community service hours. So it's, you know, it usually, it has generated a lot of interest over the last couple of years. Wow. That is amazing. How do you, how do you feel? Touch into your heart for me and tell me how you feel about working on this project. I think what, what I'm doing, I feel like lines up perfectly with, with my values. Mm -hmm. And that always feels really good. Yes. And I think that youth are underestimated. I've worked with a lot of different types of people, adults, people of different backgrounds, but um, young people in these neighborhoods, they're really often written off as lazy, as entitled, Mm -hmm. as, you know, I don't know if you've heard of, um, the concept of the school to prison pipeline where Mm. they basically look at urban youth and they say they will actually plan out the amount of beds to have in prisons based on, you know, how many kids are enrolled in kindergarten in a certain area. What? Yes. Seriously. (laughs) I'll send you the studies later. Please. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And so you know, I, I, I work with these youth and I just think they're so amazing. They're so creative. Mm. 
they are oftentimes stuck in a classroom all day and mm -hmm. they're told to learn a certain way. And then when they get to the farm, they get to shine in a different way. They get to see what it feels like to to look back at work that they've completed, a bed that they've weeded or planted yeah. and really look at it and say, hey, I participated in that or get to eat and take home produce. Thanks to a couple of grants that we have, we're able to, um, you know, send produce home with the youth as well. Oh, cool. And they're teaching their families what does organic really mean, right. you know, things like that. And so I feel I feel really happy. I think that they they are they're really cool. They're the future leaders of their neighborhoods. Wow. That must fill your heart with joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Nice. So what kind of impact have the farms uh, had on San Diego? So from the beginning, we've had, we've had partnerships with different communities all over San Diego, mm -hmm. communities who are well-resourced and communities who are, who are lower income. And so I feel like the farms themselves, when people walk by and see them, mm -hmm. they've gotten to, they can see, you know, oh, this used to be an empty lot and now the teenagers are changing it into a garden. And so um, they're affecting the neighborhoods where they are. I think that we are a part of a, of a, of a growing urban organic farming movement, movement here in San Diego. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's nice to be able to look around and, and see neighbors in Southeast San Diego and National City who are also doing urban farming and who are fighting for the same things and finding different ways to collaborate. And then for the communities who don't know what it's like to go without a meal, mm -hmm. um, they're able to come visit the farm, connect, connect and, and learn, learn from the students and, um, for, for, you know, the faith community, just, um, yeah, really see how, how resources can be reallocated for a more just system. Yeah. Wow. So Urban Farm Life has an Urban Life Tables initiative. Tell us about that. Yeah, so so Urban Urban Life Tables is um, a, a relatively new initiative mm -hmm. that started to help our youth who are in high school who work at the farms. Once they become college age, there's still you know career development to be had. There's mm -hmm. still job opportunities that they need, and so Tables offers college age students an opportunity to work in the restaurant and catering industry. Oh, mm -hmm. and so for the first year of its existence, it catered different events, including my wedding. I was so excited. Oh, to nice. Have the students there. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, um, and just help students get their food handlers card, get them, um, get them, you know, ready to work in that industry if they, mm -hmm. if they so wanted. Right. But, um, more recently we're, we're starting a new project that really bridges us together and even in an even deeper way, which is there's a YMCA in City Heights, and we, the Urban Life Tables initiative is going to take over the cafe oh. and um, serve coffee and then healthy smoothies. Mm. We'll have a little farm stand there. We'll provide produce for the cafe. And then we'll also be starting our third farm site, which will be a rooftop garden at the oh, YMCA. Cool. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a little bit more um, for educational purposes, but right. it will also employ youth. Um, and give opportunities 
um, for youth who attend the YMCA or who are in the neighborhood to to learn more about gardening and farming, and but with a little bit more of an educational perspective than mm-hmm. a production perspective. So wow. we're really excited. That's that's going to start here this summer. Yeah. So you're you're really making the connection from the dirt all the way to the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. These interns that come to you, uh, mm-hmm. what are they learning? They are learning, first of all, soft skills just related to having a job. How to show up on time, mm-hmm. how to how to manage your time well, how to work in a team. From the very beginning, we have them do a very formal application process, interview process. We wow. give them feedback after the interview so mm-hmm. that even if they don't, get hired as an intern. They have those skills for, for future jobs. We do resume building with them, nutrition, cooking, conflict management, um, things that they, they would face in future job situations and, and just life situations. Right. Mm-hmm. The, one of the kind of things that always happens you know, unintentionally is that each farm crew, each group of students really bonds together just as, as a family, you know, they, they often come from different schools. They're kids who may not normally hang out together, but Mm -hmm. because they, they have the common goal of the farm and, and, um, they spend a lot of time together. They often end up becoming good friends with each other and urban life as a, mm -hmm, and urban life as an organization has different youth programming outside of the farm. So we try to encourage them if they want to participate in those other outside things. And that helps them, you know, create a sense of almost family. A lot of the students have said building community. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to go a little bit different direction. So you're looking for vacant land. How do you come up you know, how do you find these projects that want to have farms growing on them? Well, um, our, our, our current sites are both, um, plots of land that are adjacent, adjacent to Presbyterian churches. Ah, oh, perfect. Uh Uh-huh. And so they, there was nothing kind of happening in either, in either of the lots for, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And so we lease from them and, you know, help with the water bills and, um, they, yeah, and try to form partnerships with, right. with, with the churches themselves. And so for now, that there's that. And then, you know, the YMCA is a, right. a new project. So in the future, it may not be, you know, land that's adjacent to, to churches, but we found that it's a, it's a pretty good partnership. Um, I'll tell you what, partnering mm-hmm. with churches in our communities, we have an amazing, uh, the North Phoenix Baptist Church here in mm-hmm. the Valley has an, a, a wonderful facility, and they are doing a lot of community building. In fact, the biggest, most incredible farmer's market happens in their parking lot. Uh, oh, you know, great. Twice a week. So they've opened, mm-hmm. up, they've opened up their doors for community projects, and we do. Uh, Urban Farm does multiple events there every year uh, in their space, and they, you know, they just open this space up. So looking to faith-based communities for resources uh, like land and facilities is is an amazing thing i love it when that happens mhm mhm yeah that sounds great i'll have to i'll have to look that up yeah so what challenges did you face in starting this program um i think i i wasn't here at its um at its inception mm-hmm. but i participated heavily in in our second 
in our second site, um, uh-huh, getting good. up and running in a new neighborhood. And, you know, the first challenge is just um, soil quality. <laughs> oh, yes. You're faced with a piece of land that may not have been used for agriculture for decades. The land at our southeast site hosted a charter school for a while. And so sometimes we find children's toys and, you know, th- things like that um, right. as we're digging around. But yeah. um it was definitely a process of moving rocks, get, taking out weeds, and then um, adding amendments, cover crop. Um, and then, you know, still, we're still, even two years later, we're still working on soil quality. But oh, um, yeah. our farm manager, Aaron, really does a great job, and BJ before him, um, of, you know, we use broad forks, occasionally rototillers, but we do a lot of... Um, and work. Um, double digging, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot of work, um, but it's really paying off. I think um, it's been really fun to see to see the, the lots actually transform. Yeah. Well, and, and from somebody who's been growing food for over 40 years, the mm-hmm. constant thing that we have to do is pay attention to our soils and build our soils. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's not at all surprising. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that ferry, and what you might have learned from it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think one failure, very big challenge, has been with the students. At first, we kind of under underestimated how easily they may or may not get along. <laughs> right. Um, and, yeah. you know, they ha- there's different um, youth that are coming from all different backgrounds and, you know, they could have a certain day before they get to the farm and, and not have any healthy ways to deal with it. And then that could express itself in different ways. There's, you know, been, you know, I remember one time a a fight almost started another time. Um, I had students who I think I was far too lenient with, and I wasn't, you know, strong in the beginning of the, of the season. Um, and it really affected the other students ability to do well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is just mostly my learning curve and learning how to work with youth, how to manage conflict, my personal views of conflict and how I deal with it. And just getting the personal part of the farm, you know, um, you know, not underestimating how, how important that is, you know, right. We, we joke sometimes that the interns sometimes um, can affect our productivity in a negative way mm-hmm. <laughs> versus if you have, you know, um, competent adults who, who have a lot of farming experience. Right. But well. um, the goal of our, our program is to um, is to help prepare them. And, and so we know that, you know, especially in the beginning, that they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle with working with each other, with learning which thing is a weed and which thing is a plant or um, communicating if, if, they, if they're going to be late. But um, I found that, you know, my personality is I'm, I'm a big people pleaser, but I found mm. that if I'm if I project at least that I'm very strict in the beginning, then um then, then it ends up being better for, for the whole team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. And, you know, mm-hmm. that just comes with gray hair. <laughs> you know, and when I say gray hair, that's not a bad thing. It comes with, uh, you know, us no. getting older and having more experiences. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so what do you consider your biggest success? I think the biggest success has been what I, I was speaking to earlier about the sense of um, community and 
the sense of support that the students form with each other, that the staff form with the students. And sometimes in our neighborhoods, they can be devoid of of safe, positive spaces, especially for young people. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very rewarding to see young people come together, know that they have a safe space. We have one student now who he worked at the farm a couple of seasons and he's just finished his first year of college in L.A., but, you know, he's back for the summer and he's hanging out and he wants to help. He wants to help mentor future students. And for me, mm, you know, nice. it's, it's yeah, we're, we're, we're growing people um, yeah. as much as we're growing food. And yeah. um, that success has come maybe a little bit on our part, <laughs> but, but also just the nature of what we're doing and God's, God's yeah. influence in it. Yeah. Beautiful. So do you have one student that just particularly stands out? I know you just shared about one, and this question was preloaded in my head. But is there, <laughs> when you think about it, is there just one student that it's like, oh my God, that's amazing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love to talk about Alex. Um, when he first started at the farm, he was going into his sophomore year, and he was so quiet. He was so shy. He had long dark hair. He. Um, wouldn't even talk to the other students. He would barely talk to us. Mm-hmm. He would do his work, you know, slowly. He'd get it done. But something something switched in him at the end of that, that first season when he thought about working at the farm again. He just started taking more risks. And then we started as Urban Life something called um, uh, Urban Mic Night, which is an open mic night where, um, yeah, where we would do it out in the farm. And the students would plan it and lead it and perform poetry, songs, raps, whatever they had. And Alex just started to emerge as, as a writer and he found his voice behind a microphone and we just saw him grow over the next couple of years and um, to the point where he was just performing regularly. He decided he wanted to become um, an artist and a film director. He ended up becoming a shift supervisor who was really patient with with students, especially the more quiet students, and would really, you know, get tasks done. And so mm-hmm. I feel really grateful to have been able to to see Alex grow on that journey. And he's yeah. graduating high school next week, and we're really excited for him. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what drives you? I think I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's, who's driven a lot by my convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I, I want my values to line up with, with the types of things that I'm doing. And food is just the most intimate part of us. Food is something we all have in common, but, and yet at the same time, we don't all have that in common because, you know, in communities like mine that are a food desert, we don't have the same access as other, other neighborhoods to good, healthy food. And so I feel really happy that, um, we can provide that. And then also, also my faith, um, I'm Christian, and I I feel happy to to work in an environment. You know, when things are difficult, um, we can pray. We try to be patient with each other. We know that we're all growing, and just my personal conviction to always be working for social justice in in one way or another. And um, and yeah, the the kid the kids definitely motivate me and drive me, getting to see them success, yeah. have, uh, succeed. Mm-hmm. Perfect. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? One book that really influenced me um, when I was working on my master's was called A Different Mirror by Ronald Takaki. 
Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's a history book and it's about, um, you know, it's the history of the United States, but definitely from the perspective of people of color. And there's one chapter in there in particular that, that I really liked talking about this one time period in Hawaii when, um, the farm workers from all different ethnicities really got together to, to push for their demands. They were from different communities, cultures, countries, but they um, found ways to share life together and to just go together for a common cause. And mm-hmm. so I think anybody who's living in the U.S., working in the U.S., who's interested in um, just a more just system would, would really enjoy that book. Wow, cool. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? A piece of advice I would have is something that I think that I'm still learning, but um, definitely have a collaborative spirit. Having worked in the nonprofit world for a while, I think that we can get into a space where we are competing, competing for grants, mm-hmm. competing for students, competing for recognition. And I'm sure it's the case in any industry, but I think that especially with something like urban farming, the more we collaborate together, you know, get informed by things like this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. get to share each other's stories. We know that, hey, I'm not the only one doing this and other people are struggling as well. And um, together we can actually change the way that people think about food yeah. um, as more and more people are, are moving into cities. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Amanda. Thank you. How can our listeners find you and learn about urban life? Um, the best way would be to, you can always send me an email. Mm-hmm. My email is amanda at urbanlifesd.org, SD mm-hmm. as in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our website is urbanlifesd.org backslash farms. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash urban life. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. 
Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.